ever said or heard, oh, I've learned my lesson, what does it mean? Have you ever considered how and how much that experience could have shaped your brain? And how this malleability can be exploited in the recovery from many illnesses and in the day-to-day -day life of anyone living with special needs? Join us after the intro for a conversation with a very special guest who will help us with this and many more questions. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is it so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Try Show. Did you know that any experience, behaviors, thoughts, and emotions can physically change the form and function of our brain? This malleability is referred to as neuroplasticity, and it's crucially important with children, and it's often associated with their development. But can it also be exploited later in life, or to ease the recovery from certain types of illnesses? So today we want to start this journey into neuroplasticity and in particular neuroplasticity therapies to understand if and how we can benefit from them. And we are joining this journey by our guest, Gemma Herberson, who has joined us from Salisbury in, uh, in the UK. Gemma is a medical health researcher who is an expert on functional neurology and neuroplasticity therapies. She's also the founder of neurofrontiers.org. Her work is devoted to bringing the science of neuroplasticity to education, healthcare, and self-improvement. Hi, Gemma. Welcome to the Forgiven Travis Show. Thank you so much for being with us today and taking the time. Oh, thank you so much, Rosanna. It's lovely to be here and I'm very excited. Um, you said I was a, an expert on um, neuroplasticity therapies. Um, I'm, I'm trying to be an expert. I don't know if I'm there yet. And um, well, I'm trying to learn as much as I can anyway. And then with functional neurology, oh my gosh, there are so many more better people out there that probably could call themselves an expert. I, I have an understanding of it, so um, bear with me on that one. But thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. It's um, yeah, a pleasure. Thank you. Well, let's say that between the two of us, you are the expert. I appreciate the fact that you are so humble uh, in uh, but I, I really uh, I really enjoy um, today talking about this uh, this topic and how really we can exploit it in uh, in our life so 
can we start talking about you uh, so we can learn more about Gemma and uh, what has been your journey uh, into neuroplasticity therapies? My journey wasn't where I thought I would end up as a career. It happened because of my son, really. So, um, gosh, he's 12 now. So 12 years ago, 12 and a bit years ago, he was born. And quite soon after he was born, he turned blue. Um, and then I began a series of trips backwards and forwards from the hospital, mainly in an ambulance. And, uh, and then eventually, because it, he seemed to be dying on such a regular basis, we ended up um, really permanently in the hospital for three months. And whilst they did um, lots of investigations and then, um, uh, sorry, try, it's quite traumatic at the time, but um, it sort of saved his life many times. So because he was, you know, it's just a tiny baby, he would turn blue, he'd stop breathing, they would all come in um, and appear to be resuscitating him, what they thought they were. And then um, uh, towards the end of the three months, they said, oh, he's having a seizure. So then he got a label of epilepsy and... I don't know if you've ever watched television programs which have um, about hospitals and hospital settings and particularly, you know, sort of fiction ones. And then it's sort of, oh, um, yeah, here they are. Patient comes in unwell and then they get better and then they go home. So I thought that's what would happen. But um, no, it was just because we had a label for it and we could go home. So that was the first shock of, oh, my gosh. So now I have to live with a child that's constantly seeming to die and um and just watching and then timing and you know it was very traumatic um um so that wasn't the best start and then a while actually a few years later we um had some more investigations and they discovered that it was actually a tumor so he had quite a large brain tumor on the left hand side of his brain and unfortunately where it was and at the time they didn't have um the technology or the the knowledge how to just and take that bit out so they took a huge chunk of his brain out to um, get most of it they didn't even manage it then they got 95 percent of it out um so he was four at this point and he well he was a mental age of about three months and he had uh, various uh, difficulties or deficits so he was spending most of his time in a wheelchair he um he was such a, prior to his surgery, I mean, he, he still is a really handsome boy, but then his eye was all turned out. Um, that, so that was noticeable. And um, he continued to have seizures, unfortunately, much less than before. Before we were having about 500 a week. And then after his, yeah, so not, it was, I hardly slept. I honestly, I slept for about two or three hours a day for about four years. And that's, if you know anyone who's experienced sleep deprivation that's a really really cruel horrible thing and you know I'm blessed that my time of that sleep deprivation only lasted four years and um that yeah um he, he got better his sleep did get a bit, a bit better um it wasn't perfect really to be honest after his surgery but um as I said so he was having 500 a week and then it went down to about six a month but he was still quite scary because you're constantly on on edge you're waiting is he going to have one today then you're looking out for all the signs and then if he did seem a bit not normal and a bit anxious or pale oh he might have one today so you're really worried you don't want to you want him beside you all the time so yeah so it's, it was a really Difficult, but he, yeah, so these things that he had after his surgery, he's not very good at, um, his, he, he tired very quickly, so he was in a wheelchair a lot of the time. His seizures continued, his eye was turned out, he had no speech, 
Um, and, you know, that's really difficult um, for communication, you know, so important. He, he learned signing, so he, we had some signing and oh, I just, yeah, I can't remember what else, but you know, any, you know, behaviour issues. There was a lot of things and, um, you know, really his mental age was about three months. It's been really, really difficult uh, for, for you to, first of all, to see your, your child, to go through all that. I mean, he probably went through much more than a normal person goes through in their entire life. Yeah. So obviously that uh, has been uh, probably very painful for, for you and very shocking also because uh, you didn't perhaps suspect that. So, you know, you, you were very courageous and very brave in, in taking ownership of, of that and embracing what, whatever was happening there to try mm -hmm. and understand. I think, you know, we can say that, oh, I'm brave or taking ownership and these things, um, but sometimes we, we, there wasn't a choice. So it's a, it's, you know, and you know, many times these sorts of situations, there isn't a choice. And so that was the, that was the hard bit, I think, you know, because you're just, but I, I wanted to find a choice and that's what um, motivated me. And because I didn't really leave the house unless we were going to hospital with him or collecting his sister from school, we spent many time hours in the house or in the garden or I would push him on walks. And yeah, the motivating thing, you know, to I, I wanted the situation to change. You know, all my other friends were off, out, their children were growing up, they were having, going to parties or having a social life, you know, and, you know, the invitations stop. Do you want to come for a coffee? No, I can't. And so then eventually nobody asks you. And it's, you know, it's, I, I so wanted my life to change. It was... Um, and so I read, I read as many medical papers as I could because the answers weren't coming from the hospital um, and they, they did all they could because they, they tried a different drug and a different drug. But anyway, so the answers weren't coming from there. And, you know, eventually we had the surgery, but that came with a, a number of other issues. So, yeah, uh, so after his surgery, um, yeah, there was all these other deficits and then, um, I, I still wanted to continue learning because I was quite shocked again um, by the uh, response of the hospital once we had had the surgery and then there were some of these issues. And um, so I said, oh, so what, what do we do? And they said, oh, no, you just, well, this is it. This is what they said, fingers crossed, see what happens. And I was thinking, what? <laughs> really? And they said, oh, some children get better, some don't. We just, you know, and I was thinking, I mean, this may have changed now, but, but you know, well, I'm, I'm aware that some, some, it hasn't really changed very much, but I would love it to change because there's so many things we can do for children or many cases where there is a, an issue in the brain, we can do something about it. And then this set me on this journey of trying to learn about things called neuroplasticity therapies. And this is like an umbrella term for many different therapies, which can have um, an impact, influence, or enhance brain function and performance somehow. So, and there's such a wide range of them and they work through different means, but we can come on to that bit in a minute. But really that's sort of my journey. And the bit I've missed out really is that now it's been about just over 10 years of training in these different, so some of them even weren't available in the UK. So I would go abroad and I learn a Danish one and a few American ones, an Australian one, you know, so that, and then eventually you're, you know, you're having to learn them yourself so that you can come back 
to your own country and put them into practice with my son. And so my son's recovery was quite dramatic, at times very dramatic, and then uh, steady progress in, at other times. And, and it may, you know, you could say, oh, well, maybe that was going to happen anyway. But so, which is what I thought is the energy I'm putting into this was a lot. So I would be with him five or six hours a day, sometimes doing different therapies, but you know, I'd, so, so different, it sounds a lot and very intense, but it wasn't really, you'd be doing a therapy and then you might have an hour of rest and then you'd want to repeat it, but your hour of rest, you still have to entertain the child, but it also means you, at the time I wasn't able to send him into school full time because I wanted to have these regular bits of therapy happening through the day. So I learned a lot. Very, very challenging. I can only try and imagine what uh, it must have been really going through, through all this. How is it doing now? Oh, now? Oh, yes. Well, that was the thing I was coming on to with his um, his neurosurgeon asked me eventually, what on earth are you doing? Because he's doing so well. That's what made me think, oh, it is the therapies. It's not just a fingers crossed, see what happens approach. So and now he's 12. Oh, my gosh, yes. He, he's um he talks all the time his speech is really good his reading's great he and this is on the academic side of things he, he does beautiful artwork um mainly sculptures um singing really lovely singing voice always making up tunes and things and you know his his physical abilities are really good there's some things where he's a bit behind but and he's still catching up but i i have tools now to help him you know catch up on those things he sleeps much better his eye turned in in about six weeks because once we knew what we were doing that was that was oh right okay and yeah there was um part of the therapy was helping that you've got two hemispheres helping the two hemispheres to communicate better so you know then thinking gosh if people knew this that you could achieve this by these particular therapies that an, an turned in or out eye can be resolved somehow then yeah that's amazing um and his seizures went away as well um we used some sort of things to keep your brain healthy and calm down inflammation in the brain and his seizures went away and he yeah, talks things laughs he's very funny yeah he's continence he, he can he's that was the other thing i think i forgot earlier so he he can he is continent now he doesn't wear nappies or anything anymore so he's yeah, um, he's doing really well. I think, so he's 12 and I say his mental age is somewhere between six and nine, you know, so I think that's really good. With respect to what he had, I think it's, uh, it's fantastic. And uh, it's mm. a great hope for everybody that uh, has a similar situation. So I really appreciate that you share with us, really. Uh, probably uh, it was a, an unfair question to, to, to ask, but you ended it uh, beautifully. So can we just do a step backward and uh, start talking about and defining, for example, neuroplasticity and talking about these uh, therapies, what kind of therapies are out there, how we can exploit them? Yes, so um, neuroplasticity, maybe that's a nice step to start with. So neuroplasticity is an action that happens in the brain, something which goes on in the brain. So our brain is alive, an alive thing, So um, and it's full of cells called neurons. Neurons are the cells in your brain. So your cell has um, like a root, a dendrite that comes out, and that connects to another cell. And so you have these connections almost touching. There's a little chemical reaction that goes on between them. The, the, the connections between the cells... But say, um, say for example, this one's called um, Maria, and what's your surname? Drag Dragani. How do you say? Dragani. 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 Right, okay, so this one's called Maria, 
and this one's called Dragony. And for some reason, I thought your name was Maria, and I've put the two together. But then you say to me, no, no, my name's, I need a third hand, my name's actually Rosanna. <laughs> so you have to pretend that this is a new neuron now, so I can undo, switch off Maria, that's no, no longer associated with your name, and I can grow my new connection, here we go, up here, um, to to Rosanna um, Dragony. Yeah, so, so this is where it's live wired. It's not, you know, it's not the same as a computer. We, we try and think of the brain like a computer, but that's a wrong analogy really, because the computer's wires are set and it has to do the best it can with a set wiring. Whereas a brain is enormously, um, well, quite, quite different in that we can grow new connections, we can change. So the neuroplasticity is the ability of the brain to learn and to adapt that learning and change. And so we can change the, the connection. Oh, her name's not Maria, that connection goes. And then we can and we can also then build on knowledge. So we have an existing bit of knowledge and we can build on it. So here's Rosanna. Oh, and the last time I saw her, she was wearing a lovely red cardigan. So red cardigan comes to be connected to you. So we can grow our knowledge and yeah, keep building on things as well. But as long as we have some existing knowledge there, we can always grow and build. And these are these connections that happen. So we have a set, num almost a set number of neurons in our brain. There's technically three areas, one on the left, one on the right, and then one um, in your olfactory. You've got two hippocampuses hippocampi and then you've got your olfactory bulb so you you've got three areas really that can produce new, new neurons but they they seem to be quite specific where they are in general the rest of your brain it can't grow new neurons but we can grow all these connections so that's the that's the bit about neuroplasticity if that sort of helps yeah, no, absolutely. At least we start all with the same uh, level of understanding. <laughs> oh, and if people are wondering why it's called that, so neuro is to do with the brain, and plasticity comes from the Spanish word for plas, like plasticine, mal, you know, uh, the plasticine, the, the thing that children play with. It, it can be changed. We can change the form of it. So that's why it's um, about you know, neuroplasticity. That's sort of where it comes from. Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, a bit tough word for me to, to pronounce, but... I'm getting there. Oh, I, I heard you. I knew what you meant. <laughs> so in terms of, of benefit, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, this ability of growing new connections, uh, which I think is, uh, is pretty remarkable. But if we really want to think in terms of, uh, of benefits, you told us about what you went through with your son and all the learning that it could do afterwards. But what kind of uh, area, big areas for example we can uh, identify as um, benefit areas so with neuroplasticity in general if we are if we keep up um, keep on doing little bits of learning and it doesn't mean you have to go and do a university course we are learning all the time and that could be just going to a, so a new environment so for me you know I can I could probably shut my eyes and wander around my own home because I know all the layout so I've, I've got that in my memory it's stored but if I went to somebody else's home I wouldn't know where anything was so or if I went to a new building so newness new experiences um, mean that we have to create new connections now why is this a good thing why is it a benefit to our brain health and um, there's a couple of key reasons so if you imagine that this is technically incorrect, but we can imagine it. So if you imagine that your brain is like a house with 
Um, and there's different regions that have different functions and one might be associated with music or um, one's um, oh, reading, um, cookery, you know, sort of perhaps, yeah, that, that isn't exactly how the brain works, but we can imagine that there's regions. We can imagine these like rooms in a house, rooms that we can visit. And if a room isn't used very often, then, then it will go dusty and musty and not be very good. So there's not very much in the brain, that means there's not very much blood flow going to that area. Things are getting, you know, not very used, they aren't being used very often. And so uh, one of the um, principles of neuroplasticity is called use it or lose it. So if we aren't using some knowledge, then it will go away. These connections, they just, the brain loves to be efficient. It doesn't want to waste any electricity at all. So only any power, only power that's going to the brain, we don't want to waste it. So if you, here's a connection that hasn't been used for, maybe isn't important. It's not considered important and it's not being used. So the brain sends in some chemicals and dissolves it. If we continue to use some things then, or even use knowledge in that area, we're bringing you know, the blood flow and keeping it all healthy. And you know, we, we're using that those that connection that's there so we it will it will remain without using it it, it goes away and so if, particularly for sort of brain health for longevity or particularly for older people to keep that keep those brain areas refreshed using skills that you haven't done for a long time or learning new skills michael mershnik he's um, an academic he says we are never finished the human, we can always learn something new and we should take advantage of that. So what, you know, thinking of the brain going a bit dusty, like a house with rooms that we don't use, then you know, that's the worst thing we need. And that can lead to signs of dementia and poor memory and going downhill. We don't want to, any sort of neurodegeneration to go to, to take place. So keeping our brains active. And there's a really nice example of some nuns in a, a nunnery. After somebody's died, we can have a look at the brain and see you know, what it looks like. So they, um, they saw that they said, oh, the nuns never get Alzheimer's or dementia. Why, do they, why don't they, oh, this is amazing. Why don't they get this? And when they um, came, they, the brain, they said they could have their brains and the scientists had a look at the brains of the nuns and they, the brains looked like they should have had Alzheimer's or dementia. So they should, they were aged just the same as other people's, but what they, what, what they realized is that, that by using the brain and keeping up these connections, then uh, the brains weren't um, going dusty. <laughs> so, so because they're always studying, they're learning, they have to keep, you know, they have to play their parts and they, you know, do many of the activities that they always did from, you know, being young in the nunnery. So, has been a help in learning why um, why it's very important to keep our brains active and to have new experiences and and also a new experience can just be a telephone call so this is part of why communication and connection is really important um, for us all to be and good listening you know we, we know our own knowledge in our head so instead of just talking ourselves good listening hearing some new information come in from just from a friend or relative or, or so on but you know and then also it is good for us to, to talk as well so it's not all listening but yeah it's um anything that's new but not totally new so that we are like oh i've got no idea I, if i put you into i stand there go and live in japan where you can't speak any japanese i don't know if can you speak japanese i can't <laughs> no, it's, it's too 
it's too new. So I avoid the overwhelm from yeah. too much, but keep mm. learning. And I think that's a, a fantastic message actually for, for everybody because as we grow old uh, or older, we tend to, you know, sort of relax and uh, enjoy our life without the need for, for learning new things so, or being engaged uh, with other people. And you mentioned communication and, and mm. uh, like that. So uh, I, I think there is a, really a, a potential here because one of the things that came to my mind is that when we think about the brain and the, uh, the ability that the brain has to create these new parts, we think about children. They have a very flexible brain. You know, they, they can learn a lot. They, we always say that children are like sponges. You know, they can absorb uh, a lot of information. So it, it is, I think, fantastic that we can use and exploit this ability even later in life. So there, there are no really age limitation as long as we keep doing it. So that's, that's great. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes, there's no age limit. Yes. Mm. So talking about therapies that we can do to exploit this, this power of the brain and help, first of all, with people that really need to improve their functionality of their brain. And then perhaps how can we take those therapies in everyday life for anybody else? Okay, so neuroplasticity therapies, there's a range of four types of them and they, they can be used to create function. So where there was no function before, so this is typical with a child, you know, so they haven't ever had that skill before, so we create new function. And sometimes a child might go and miss a developmental milestones or unable, their sense of balance might be bad. So, so we could go in and we can help them to risk and um, to uh, create that, that function in their brain. So, that's a, so they've never had it before and then we create it. The second one is restoring functions. So somebody's had, if somebody has a brain injury, so they could do something once, but then they've had a brain injury, or like my son had a brain operation, and we need to restore that function. And if, if that area of the brain is damaged or missing, then it can't be there anymore. So we need to go back a lot of steps and start rehousing it, putting it some or putting it somewhere else in the brain and reinstalling it, but in a new place. So, and typically that might, that might go back to some of the, the baby things that we did. You feel a bit strange because I'm doing movements or activity or learning that I should, would have done as a baby, but it's just about reinstalling that. And then like the, um, the, the building on, you have to have existing knowledge and then you can build and build and build. Then you, um, you're starting from the foundations and you're building it back up again and just installing it in a new area, if that's possible. Sadly, for some people, it, we can't restore all areas of the brain, um, but you know, we can find, it's incredible what we can do though. So, and that knowledge really isn't out there. People tend to think I've had a stroke or I know someone that hasn't, how can we manage and adapt our lifestyle? And with neuroplasticity therapies, there's some hope because saying, ah, you might not have to adapt or not adapt as much as you thought, because if we try this, then we might be able to re, um, restore the function that you once had. And then let's see. So it's in general, neuroplasticity therapy is about helping people to reach their potential, the potential of their brain. What is that potential? So we've got C, which is create, R for restore, then I, I is for improve. And so improving is perhaps where some of your listeners might be interested, um, which is 
when somebody wants to become really excellent at an area, you know, at something. So we might think of musicians, sports people, even a CEO of a company who's, you know, in their 50s getting a bit older and thinking, oh, I just need to stay as sharp and at the top of my game as I was when I was in my 20s or 30s. So, and some, you know, we all, not we all, but some people want to be really good at something. So that's when we might be using our neuroplasticity therapies just to give people that edge. And then the last one is what most people um, could benefit from is maintain. So it's the maintenance. What's the norm that should have happened? How can we give ourselves um, opportunities into our, our lives which help the, norm, the normal and the healthy um, neuroplasticity to take place? So if, if um, like going back to our dusty rooms thing, you know, if we didn't have new experiences, if we just stayed in our house and watched television and did the same routine every day, our brain is very soon going to go quite dusty. So how can we maintain the health of our brain? There's, there's you know, the things that we just talked about, new experiences, learning, you know, communication um, and so on. So the, there are some general more, more things that we can do to help with them, uh, you know, nutrition that's very key and sleep also is key for maintenance so these these then you've got c-r-i-m crim if you like for create restore improve and maintain and then these are we can think of these also in in two ways as well we can think some of these are about sort of reactive um neuroplasticity therapies so oh i've noticed that my child is struggling with something or oh my goodness i've had a brain injury or even a concussion or you know, so we what 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 do we then need to do? So we're reacting to a situation that's taking place, and then something like the maintain. How do I maintain um, a good brain function? That that would be more of a proactive approach. How do I make you know the normal happen? So there's the two different approaches there. Can you give us some example of how these uh, techniques uh, are actually used? For example, for different areas, children development, or for someone recovering from a physical trauma, for example. Some, what are the kind of really uh, or techniques? Yes. Um, so just some background. So um, neuroscience has really helped us through in the gosh, you know, in very recent history, in the past just couple of decades or so, maybe a little more, to understand the mechanisms of how the brain works. So this is really important. So we know, and so, and as we um, understood these, we can then think, ah, oh, so that's why that happens. And we can also associate different areas of our brain with functions. So I'm moving my hands while I'm talking to you. And so that means my motor strip um, on the top there is, is in action. And I'm deciding where to, to move my hands. It's probably associated with my communication areas because I'm communicating. I'm deliberately moving them all about now. Um, so, so we have different areas of the brain associated with these uh, different functions, which then means that so if you came to somebody like myself or um, one of my colleagues who works in these various different um, forms of neuroplasticity therapies, you would find that you would be assessed. Ah, we're assessing how well your brain is functioning in relation to. So, for example, you might see someone who's in behavioral optometry. That's a big, long couple of words, but it's somebody who looks at your visual system. So they're seeing how, how is that working? And then 
they, they don't just assess that so they're thinking oh how's that working in relation to your sense of balance as well have you got that right to your and various other things so anyway so we'd be assessing someone's brain function with some testing them out with some exercises and then putting in an intervention in place seeing how that works and then we reassess oh look and hopefully fingers crossed they've got better so ah, oh, i found that this area of the brain wasn't working so i target this area of the brain with a specific therapy to get it stronger um, and then I retest and see that it's worked and so then I send the person home perhaps with you know do this exercise a few times a day for a few weeks or maybe you do, you've done it everything in, in your um, practice and so that's it so that's the sort of how it works and then you said some examples so for children if we were thinking about maintenance of children you know maintenance of good brain function how do we help all children to have you know, reach their full potential. And so if you're thinking of just a normal child, that normal child needs to have opportunities for their body to be exposed to the things that they need for normal development. And I'll pick on one really interesting um, area, which is movement. So our, the movement of our bodies actually helps to develop the brain. So it's these sort of, I think of it like a ladder. You're going up these rungs of the ladder. You have to have one in place before you can get to the next one. And then that's fully in place. You can get to the next one. So you're going up these rungs of the ladder. Um, mod, the modern lifestyle for children has many children sitting down, strapped into chairs, you know, uh, in the car, in the trolley, back in the car, in a seat at home, in a bumbo, in a bouncing thing in the push chair, the stroller. Uh, yeah, so we're, um, then the child isn't moving. They're not moving and rolling over. Then, you know, so they need to be going through this movement step and really learning about their body because this then helps us for many other skills. So we are learning loads, just where we are in space, where we are in relation, whereas what's called our vertical midline, what happens when I cross over it? Oh, that's interesting. You know, we're, but we're, and rolling just moving our body is um, a really important way that we that the brain sets in those foundations for um, later learning that provides all lots of reference points for later learning and it you know it, it doesn't sound logical how can movement make me a, a, a more intelligent person or a better able person in society but but it does so it's about engaging really a very early stage in their uh, in their life with this movement. So literally playing with them. Yes, yeah, playing. Oh, brilliant! Yes, playing and doing, you know, for a very young baby, lots of time out out of being sat down and strapped into anything, giving them opportunities and and not worrying so much. People are very eager to get their children walking. Don't worry about that. They they need to have lots of experiences of rolling about and learning how to crawl. So I'll I'll do a brief explanation. So we've got two hemispheres of our brain, our left our left and our right, and this is very crude, and like basic. So so we to uh, when a baby's on his tummy or her tummy and they're doing sort of a commando crawl, you know, like um, an army person might do. So really on the tummy. So in many ways, we're just saying, oh, the left side moves and then the right side moves. So communication of that goes across the right across the middle here. Something is called your corpus callosum in the middle. So in very basic terms, we're saying 
Oh, the left side's turn, the right side's turn, the left side. So, but we have to say, we, we're getting our bodies ready and saying, oh, I've finished my turn now, your turn. So a bit of communication is going across there. And then later on, we go on up all fours. And this is when we start moving the right hand and the left knee, and then the left hand and the right knee. So we're then we're having, oh, this is a bit more sophisticated because we've got to move together and we've got to be in rhythm and so on. So then even more across hemisphere communication has to go on up there so the but what we don't appreciate really but we we are learning to appreciate is that this cross communication is really important for many things because we are it helps to us to build language and these same channels after information like if you imagine it like a little road going across that same road is used for other things as well so we might be saying you know about and perhaps reading body language matching up things so we are we need those channels to be opened up by this early movement and so if we're not given the opportunity for that then the, these little channels aren't going to be so available for later skills so this is uh, for very early stages um but what about when they start growing up in uh, uh, early teenage years, for example, because one of the concerns, I, I have two nephews, they are both teenagers, early teenagers now, and they spend a lot of time on their mobile or watching TV and video games and all these sort of things. And sometimes I'm a little concerned that by doing these activities, they might just fry their brain. So. Is it a serious concern? Is, is it a, a fair concern? Or they are still learning even by doing these things? So, yes, it is a serious concern. And there are, there are actually several reasons. It's not like I can give you one straight answer. It's a concern because of this. There are several reasons why it's a concern. For example, communication is, is important. And talking actually is a very important way that we are stimulating our nervous system. And the, there is an effect that that has a, quite a calming effect. And so that if you're typing all the time or you're, you're not talking to anyone and you're just playing games, that isn't a healthy way for our brains to be. So that's a, a negative. Sitting down again. So say you went on a walk. And you've, you, feel, you feel better generally after you've had a walk. Yes. We've moved. We've got some circulation going. That's good for the brain. We've seen some new things, um, that, which, again, we've just learned is very good for the brain. We've also then uh, creating opportunities for lots of feel-good uh, hormones or chemical messengers to be produced. And it, very simply, we've got from A to B. We've achieved something. So we feel a sense of achievement and we feel our mindset is changed, we, you know, in sort of psychological terms, we feel better about ourselves. Oh, yes. So some of the sort of more motivating uh, chemical messengers will be there. So, yes, it isn't healthy to spend um, too much time um, watching video games and so on. Um, for very young children, their sense of vision needs to develop. So we need to be looking from near to far and then learning all the steps in between. So a baby's hands and their eyes are all connected, if you like. So the, when they're breastfeeding, oh, I can hold on to the breast and have a you know, nice drink or, or their bottle. So the, we need to undo that. But if we're constantly saying, hey, look only at this distance and keep it in your hand, then you know, they're, they're not going to be learning that there's actually a huge range of other uh, movements and, and eye um, distances that they can look at. And you know, again, it's just lack of novelty, really. But the, it's very addictive to be looking at a phone as well. And yeah, but we all, I'm sure we can all appreciate that. It's not really the most positive thing.
a warning for all the parents out there. Well, not only parents, but we tend to sometimes use mobiles or tablets just to keep them busy and uh, so we can uh, engage with other businesses and uh, perhaps we have to be a little bit more considered. It's a balance. I'm sure it's a balance, you know, and even myself, I, I will know that there have been little periods of my life where I felt good grief. I feel like I'm addicted to this. I need to break this habit. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I engage with the real world. The real world is so much more important um, and better for us. Yeah. And fascinating. <laughs> fascinating yeah. than a video game. But then, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do all my research if I wasn't, if I didn't have my phone or a laptop. So, yeah, it's, um, there are some good things to it. So, so we, we talk about children. What about people of any age that are, for example, recovering from a, a physical trauma? So, how can we use these uh, neuroplasticity techniques in that case? So there's various different therapies associated with that. So perhaps something like a stroke, which might then mean that you have lost ability to, to move an arm. Um, so there's a, a nice therapy by Edward Torb, which is called constraint-induced therapy. The arm that can move really well, you restrain that. And then the other one, you, you're forced to use it, even if you can just use it a tiny amount. But it means that you're forcing your brain to find that new connection that we were talked about the neurons before and growing out little dendrites it can then grow another another what's called a dendritic spine like a root of a tree we can grow more and more of these but they can grow meters we you know we've got new connections which run from our brain all the way down to our toes you know, <laughs> we, you know so we so these can grow a long way and it might take some time for them to find the connection or the most efficient part, you know, to create an efficient pathway to um, something new. So also perhaps with strokes, there are other things. So if somebody's lost their ability to speak from a stroke, we uh, tend to think that there's that no going back. But if the injury has been on the left hand side, we can adapt our other abilities on the right-hand side. And on the right-hand side, we've got singing, sort of um, intonation, all sorts of things. So we, there are, there's um, a therapy called melodic intonation therapy, and that will help someone to be able to speak again once they, if they've lost their ability to speak due to a stroke on the left-hand side. One thing that, from my personal experience, I was particularly curious is if we can use neuroplasticity and, and the therapies associated to that, also to recover from emotional trauma, like for example, a burnout or, you know, depression, anxiety, because now, especially after the pandemic, a lot of people start feeling on the low side, to say mm. the least. So depression has become almost the norm, unfortunately. So can we use this kind of techniques also in, uh, in, this, in the recovery from this emotional trauma? Yes. So, so some of this is to do with general brain health. So these would be, um, so in order for a neuroplasticity therapy to work, we have to have a brain that's really fueled um, well. So, and we covered some bits of this, but things like diet and the nutrition that you, that you give your brain. So we can think of that as sort of a direct fueling of the brain, but really we've got um, this huge um, it's our gut microbes that's very important um, they produce lots of the building blocks or uh, material needed to um, help with the feel-good messages in the brain so we it's important to be feeding those um, with you know lots of sort of 
plant-based foods, and that doesn't just mean vegetables, that's even rice, um, mushrooms, seaweed, all sorts of things come underneath that, nuts, you know, so we don't have to be just eating uh, vegetables, so plant-based foods are great. However, it doesn't mean you have to become a vegan. There are other building blocks which are helpful for the brain, which come from meat and animal and fish-based sources. So we need a a wide range of things. So that diet is important. Lifestyle, which we touched on before, this not letting things stagnate, making sure that you've got um, new learning, new experiences happening in our lives. And things like going out for a walk regularly. Our, Our sleep is very important. How do we get our best sleep? And so these are, if we don't have these foundations in place, then it doesn't matter how, how good the neuroplasticity is later, you know, therapy is later on, your brain's going to really struggle. So if you're feeling fatigued or depressed, then it, it might not be that a neuroplasticity therapy is your only um, port of call. You need to think about the, the foundation things that go to enable that to happen, like the fuel in a car. We need to have all of these well before we can and then start using the car. And then in terms of neuroplasticity therapies, if our brain isn't functioning well, we aren't going to feel so confident. So subconsciously, we will know that if my brain wasn't functioning very well, then I would subconsciously know that I wasn't as good as the next person. And that might then relate to something like, oh, I'm feeling off balance. Now, I'm um, I'm just picking one example. So there are other things so that this isn't the answer, but it's just one of many things. So for example, if somebody was didn't have a very good sense of balance, they then don't feel so confident because, oh, I might trip over something. Or if I was to get into a fight, then I might not be able to hit that person because I might miss. I'm not I'm saying nobody should do fighting, by the way, but it's that subconscious awareness of how would I, how good would I be against the, you know, against other people on the planet if I was in a serious situation, which was sort of life-threatening or I needed to um, be excellent or just not make a fool of myself in some way. So when you know subconsciously that oh, for some reason I'm, I, I'm not as good, I, I can't balance along a pole or something. So then that has a knock-on effect on, on our confidence. So we subconsciously, we, we are then tend to be a more of an anxious person compared to the next person. So we, if you were then to go back and test the sense of balance, then give some exercises for getting it better. Oh, look. And then the confidence level goes up. And it's nothing to do with um, what we've experienced in the past. It, it, you know, experiences in the past will have shaped us to some extent, definitely. But um, it may be that there is something more foundational than um, just our experiences that have um, caused us to feel not so great in the world. Uh, I, I can see that it, it makes definitely a lot of sense. Listen, are there obstacles or challenges, uh, specific challenges when uh, uh, using these practices that uh, people can experience, perhaps at the very beginning when they, when they start? No, because a, a, a well-trained practitioner will, own, will meet you where you're at. So, for example, if I said to you, oh, Rosanna, you know, let's go and uh, let's let's sing that song about Kubandudas. And you would think, oh, I don't know what song she's talking about. I've got... So you had no existing knowledge and, and Hubandugas doesn't exist. So there was nothing for you to hook that, non, that new bit of, you know, what I'm asking you to do, there's nothing. So you struggle because you don't know the song, you, you don't know the, anything about it. I'm not meeting you where you're at. 
So if I then said, ah, and there's this lovely song, it's from an island in the Pacific. Um, I could use them. It starts off with these words. Would you like to see a sheet of the words? Here's the music. And then we could slowly build you up and you would be able to sing the song with me. So, but we need all these foundation bits of knowledge. So we're meeting the person where they're at. And it's the same with the therapies. So there's lots of different ways into the brain. And this is where the different therapies can enter the brain. So we have things like audio therapy, which is sound therapies. And that might be music or it might be general sound or it might be um, silence. And so we're, these are the um, audio therapies, which can help with sleep, anxiety levels, the opposite. You want, you want somebody wants to feel more um, zest of life, being a bit more aroused in life. So and they can help with all sorts of things and sort of music therapies um, and certain conditions sort of autism ADHD they can um we've got two sides of our brain again and so you can play different volumes or different types of music in in uh, either ear or not have anything going in one ear only the other ear so we can we can play about with all sorts of things through our auditory system and then we have vision therapies um uh, sensory therapies which might be using things like um, our skin as a way into the brain um, is this rough or smooth is this hot or cold with you know we're looking with um, sensory therapies in in that way movement-based therapies that's a, another key one um, uh, as well so there's there's all these different ways into the brain and yet um, they can all have amazing different effects even scent therapy the smells that we smell will have and i'm sure people are aware you know if you smell a delicious meal oh my gosh how does that make you feel and then if you open the dustbin and you haven't taken it out for you know far too long oh that's a, <clears throat> a different feeling altogether scent therapy is another really uh, really interesting way into the brain Gemma, in the journey that you went through, starting with uh, your son and everything that you learned, you decided to take this learning and put it together and funding uh, neurofrontiers.org. Can we talk about that? What it is, what is uh, its role, what it aims at doing? Yes, well, I'd love to thank you. So Neurofrontiers is um, something I've created. It has a website. And it's really, I'm trying to raise awareness of neuroplasticity therapies. I think if more people knew that there was this hope, but hope based in science out there that, you know, be so incredible. And there are so many uses for this, whether it's in a school setting, how do children learn best? Is it good for them to be sat all day in a chair in a classroom? Um, I'm sure that you and your listeners can guess that the answer to that now. And so we, you know, we, they're um, useful for us to know about these therapies. And so I set up uh, Neurofrontiers as a way to spread the word about this. And so I've tried to put as many um, of the therapies as I can um, onto the website. And I've recently held a, a summit, an international summit, and people can still access the talks uh, about that on the website. And these are, you know, fantastic wealth of information and way to learn about all the different neuroplasticity therapies which are out there and these ways into the brain and what they can each achieve and I just thought it was my son is missing nearly a quarter of his brain and if I can help him to recover these skills and you know perform and be as well and as good as he is it I I just knew I had to do something with all the knowledge in my head it just felt like a purpose it felt like there's something really important I had I needed to share this somehow. I yeah, I hope to build on this and I've had some lovely, lovely messages since the summit and encouraging 
you know with what I'm doing and so yeah I feel very blessed that I've been able to do this and to, to get this knowledge out there and I'd love more people to know about this especially because you mentioned at the beginning when you were looking for new therapists for for your son you had to go abroad you you didn't have all the answers right here uh, in the UK so the same issue would be for any other parent perhaps now the situation is changing um, so I didn't even know, you know, some of the names of these therapies. I wouldn't even, we can Google lots of things, but it didn't tell me what these were called. So how would I even know that behavioral optometry existed? How would I know that functional neurology was a field? Um, you know, auditory therapies. And, and why would I think that, oh, my son's anxious, he needs to listen to the music. It didn't, you know, the, these things weren't coming naturally. So I, this is why I really want to umbrella everything, neuroplasticity therapies, here's a nice resource where people can come and find out about them all. Um, and to save people the hard work and the journey that I went on, because, you know, in a funny well in a not funny way I mean I've gone and learned from some of the best people in the world which is absolutely amazing and I'm very blessed to have been able to do that but then you know when I've come back and I've learned oh that's what this is oh and oh didn't you know so and so up the road does that oh <laughs> if I only knew the name of it when I first started out so perhaps I wouldn't have had to go all over the world so again this is helping people to um, find the right terminology to then be able to go and find um, who they need to help them and in the resources section on the website, I've got as many uh, practitioner locators as possible for all the different um, fields of people so that you can easily in one place find all the resources that you need um, to help you on your journey. So um, that's you know, what I've put there. Absolutely beautiful. I, I really appreciate what, you, what you're doing because I think a lot of people will uh, really benefit from a, a resource like that. So you mentioned this, this summit that uh, you just had. Where are we with these therapies? So it was called Education, the Neuro Frontier, and it was really focusing on how education might be in the future if it was informed by neuroscience and then using neuroplasticity therapies within um, a school environment. So yes, that, um, and there were just general, and many people were just talking about learning in general, which is applicable to anyone of any age. How do we learn better? And, you know, um, once we understand the mechanisms, we can say, oh, and this, so the mechanism is like this. So obviously we need to learn like that. And you, actually, when you talked about your nephews, Andrew, Dr. Andrew Moss, no, Andrew Gallup, sorry. Um, he's uh, based in uh, New York in America, and he he's, our oh, pandiculation, stretching, yawning um, is great and then I actually did a course on some aspect of neurology um, and then the people who were teaching this course and training you about the brain they had a beeper that went off every 20 minutes and every 20 minutes you're told to stretch oh do a nice big stretch and so oh, I felt quite comfortable after a while because I was oh the beeper's gone off just move about but this isn't normal you know and I'm British this is really oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> don't do these things here <laughs> but uh you know after four days of this you know it became normal and you and i was so surprised moving my body every 20 minutes meant i learned so much more really really interesting so we, we wake ourselves up we you know um, by doing this so stretching and stretching our body in the way we need is really important to do so every morning don't reach for your phone 
stretch do this whatever you know you feel like doing a really good stretch of your body and that's just a little bit of movement which is personal to you and that's the other thing with neuroplasticity therapies many of them require an individual approach it's quite interesting what you are saying because when you are talking i had this image of dogs when they stand up the first thing they do is stretching they don't start you know jumping around or running or rushing they stretch which means mm-hmm. You know, in the animal world, they know much better than we, we do, probably. That is exactly right, yeah. I'd be, I'd be interested for you or your listeners if you want to comment and, and see what the difference is. You know, have you ever walked into the kitchen and, like, you know, trying to find your breakfast and <laughs> whatever you've got to do in the morning, you know, and then see the difference after you've had a stretch? Do you feel different? And, you know, you, it is a great way of waking our brain up in the morning. And you can start at about 30 seconds. And then work your way up, if you want to, to a, a minute. And whenever you want to be still, just be still. But um, yeah, just just try that. Even if it was just the 30 seconds of stretching and moving however you want to, curling up, stretching out, moving bits and pieces of you, that's, yeah, um, see how you feel. Be really interested for some, to hear some feedback. That, that's fantastic. That's great. Um, one, one question about the, the summit. Uh, if I understand correctly, there weren't just specialized people in neuroplasticity. Many were general public or parents, for example. So what is the response that you had from them? So you're right. So the speakers were a mix of um, a- academic people um, who were saying, here's the neuroscience, here's the mechanism why it works. And then there were the people who put it into action. And these might be schools um, or parents, um, individuals. So it, there was, yes, I've used this and this has been the experience and this is how we, how we put this into action in real life. And then the response to it, honestly, I during the summit week, I cried so many times because people were so nice and said such nice things and and then even since then, we've had a survey which we've done. And then that was, yeah, honestly, some really, really amazing things there that people have um, said. And so I feel it's been a good thing to have done. And um, we'll build upon this now to really help because um, there's even more people out there with even more knowledge and, you know, an amazing uh, information to give people and stories of, yes, I use that and it works. And here's what's happened to me to inspire other people. So, um, yeah, really good. Uh, that's fantastic. Gemma, you know this uh, podcast is called uh, Forgiven Tribe. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, for me, forgiveness is, uh, is very important, both of others and uh, of ourselves. And it's uh, an important step to actually start thriving, to uh, you know, overcome challenges. And mm-hmm. that is really the first step of thriving. Now, you and I met through Mindvalley. Uh, I'm not affiliated with Mindvalley, but... You know, uh, you probably heard the CEO of Mindvalley, Vishen Lakhiani, talking about forgiveness. And in particular, mm-hmm. an experience that he had in Vancouver Island in, uh, I think it's called the BioCybernaut Institute. And in this institute, they uh, tried to measure uh, the brain waves. And they uh, did an experiment where Vision um, also attended and took part of measuring the, uh, the brainwave of a monk who had been meditating for like 40 years and then of normal people while doing specific activities. And activities were like practicing meditation or appreciation or gratitude and forgiveness. And what they realized is that forgiveness was basically the only activity that produced a brainwave that resembled the one from the, uh, the monk. 
So it was the closest to a sort of Zen life. So I, I'm curious now uh, to know what you think about forgiveness in general. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, can we uh, have any connection between uh, forgiveness uh, or can fit it into uh, neuroscience and neuroplasticity? Brilliant questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, uh, my take on forgiveness, I, I think, is a very important um, part of, of life and um, good relationships. Yes, even a good relationship with yourself. That might mean forgiving yourself, but also not carrying around bitterness with you. And it is a, a liberating to be able to forgive. And it, and it doesn't, it may mean that you need to do it um, several times until it sort of gradually goes away and you um, associate something new, a new, a neutral or a new feeling towards that person or that incident. And so I, you know, forgiveness is a good thing. And, you know, I think, I mean, it helps us to be in touch with our empathetic side as well, because if we have to, part of forgiveness can be standing in somebody else's shoes and appreciating that they might have done their best and that their best was quite appalling, but they did that maybe for a reason. And I think through my work, actually, I've grown a lot more compassionate because just now when we were talking about somebody's sense of balance being out and then, for example, and then they then have um, then less confidence in the world. But this can come out in various different ways. This is, can come out as you know being quite narcissistic. It's a little example, and don't don't apply this rule to everyone. But some narcissists, you know, or people who are associated with narcissism, might have a, a very posture which is very like a shield across their chest, oh, and I can deal with anything. Because and they they're walking around with a shield all the time. Their posture tells you that. So why, and rather than having a more neutral posture, which is oh, anyone can approach me. So why are people like that? Again, it's back to this confidence. There's something insecure about them because it may be that their brain, it feels in a state of survival for some reason. They're adopting a survival posture. And that could be because they didn't have a development, their brain didn't develop properly. We didn't give them an opportunity to develop normally. Or it might be because um, they uh, had traumatic events and then that, again, put them into a survival uh, mode we can and we'll see people adopt survival type postures when after a car accident for example our postures tell us so much about what's going on in the brain so they can't be ignored so uh, i can forgive them through neuroscience <laughs> if, if that makes some sense it's um, they're doing their best that they can in the world and in my opinion that's quite rubbish it's it's not good but um i can see why they might doing it yes forgiveness is really good thing and I think allied with a bit of compassion um, is going to be really good. That's absolutely beautiful. So coming back to you, what is uh, in the pipeline right now for, for Gemma uh, and for Neural Frontiers? Oh, well, perhaps a little bit of break after the summit. That's exactly what I was going to say. Uh, yeah, I need, I, there's been uh, quite a lot of work after the summit and I've got a few tasks left to do from that. And then it's, um, I've just rewritten my business plan. So yeah, the, the um, what's going forward into the future, I'm quite excited about. And yeah, um, there's, there's, yeah, it's just building on what what I've what I've created now and making and fine tuning that and then being able to um, deliver more things like that, which help to spread the word to, about neuroplasticity therapy, so that more people can help uh, to be to reach their fullest potential. So whether it's children, adults, anyone. So um, yeah, I'm very excited. 
Fantastic. So if there was one take home message from today's conversation, what that would be for you? Hope. There's hope out there. So this is the message, my sort of strap line of my um, uh, neuro frontiers is um, there are answers out there. And this is the neuroscience. So there are new, there are answers out there and where there are answers, there is hope. So as I say, once we, it's like the translation service, we have, um, we know the neuroscience, we know the mechanism of how, it's, how it works. How can we take advantage of that to help people reach their potential? How can we help it to get someone to be able to speak again or speak for the first time? How can we take advantage of this knowledge? And you know, so it's just the trans, these people who work in neuroplasticity therapies are incredible and they have understood um, some of the neuroscience and they're using this to an advantage to help people. And that's, that's what's wonderful about it, that it's, it's not guesswork. It's really, we, we tend to know what we're doing and we're going to, put, you know, and help people through that. So um, it's a really exciting field to be in and um, it, it could be a benefit to so many people that I'm just, yeah, we're really excited to get the message out there. That's what, that's my take home bit, sorry, hope. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we hope that uh, with this episode, we can uh, bring some uh, awareness around it and uh, also some information out there because uh, quite frankly, sometimes we, we really miss that. I mean, we mentioned uh, before during uh, the, the conversation, sometimes when something happens, we really don't know where, uh, where to go. And uh, the, the official hospitals or doctors, they might not have all the information uh, in place uh, mm. the latest techniques or latest uh, therapies that perhaps can help us. So uh, I really appreciate that, uh, that you came on board and uh, uh, wanted to, to talk with us. Just before going, where people can find more about your work and uh, about uh, neuroplasticity uh, or resources. Thank you, that's very kind of you. Um, yeah, so neurofrontiers.org, that's, that's my website, www.neurofrontiers. Org. Um, there's um, a, a huge wealth of information there for people um, and if you're really inspired uh, have a look at some of the summit sessions um, that are available through the, the website there and then it's got the contact details on that as well and then we have got um, a Facebook group I've got my business page but there's a Facebook group called Neuroplasticity Therapies and I think there's about ooh, 6,000 people or something on that. So, so and there, that's a real mixture of professionals and people who are using these therapies. So if you're going to ask a question or curious about something, post it on there and um, plenty of people will come back to you and yeah, give you some more information from all different angles. Fantastic. And don't forget, we will put all the links in uh, the description of today's episode. So, well, I hope that this episode has provided not just information on how our brain can be hacked, exploiting its plasticity, but also some tips on all the benefits that come from it. And uh, instead of the usual quote, I want to leave you with a, a short but very beautiful passage from a book. The book is called The, the Brain, The Story of You, and was written by uh, David Eagleman, uh, who is a neuroscientist. And he says, the very structure of our brain the relative size of different regions, the strength of connections between one area and another reflects the lives we have led. Like sand on a beach, the brain bears the footprints of the decisions we have made, the skills we have learned, and the actions we have taken. 
Gemma, thank you very much for accepting this invitation, for talking with us and sharing your life experience, knowledge and expertise with us. Really appreciate it. Oh, I've loved it. And you've been a great host. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So we would love to know what you think about neuroplasticity and neuroplasticity therapies. Where are you already using them or were you aware at all about them? Let us know. Also, don't forget to visit Gemma's webpage and to follow her on social media. We will put all the links into this episode description. Finally, if you have affected in any way by the topic we discussed today, as always, I invite you to seek professional help. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiventrive at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.